everyone. I'm Nicole. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today, we are diving way, way, way back in time to explore cetacean evolution. Plus, plus a whale tale from a local surfer. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. Okay, you two, I'm very excited about this episode. I have been researching for this for, like, a long time. (laughs) Like, I want to say we first started talking about it, like, a year ago. Maybe, yeah. probably, yeah. Yeah. Um, But I have some disclaimers. (laughs) Excellent, as always. The biggest disclaimer being... We talk about this a lot on the podcast, actually, but I don't think it's ever been more important than in today's episode. Science changes. Hmm. You will hear us say that a lot in today's episode. Um, we, I think all listeners have heard me in particular go on various rants about nomenclature and uh, the way in which species are, are distinct or not. Um all of that is exponentially worse Mm -hmm. when we are talking about evolution and particularly when we're talking about I can't even say species because when we talk about sort of like ancestral evolution or sort of like most most closely related ancestors or anything like that we're not talking at the species level we're talking at best at the genera level, but most of the time we're talking somewhere in like groups and families. Like the fossil record is not super extensive compared to what we have to study in our current oceans. Indeed. <laughs> so take everything we say today with a huge grain of salt and keep in mind that it is entirely possible that a paper will be published tomorrow that will like disprove half of what we currently think is the best accepted evolutionary tree of modern cetaceans. Hmm. And like, hopefully even if some of the like specific facts and order of things are wrong, there's still like some cool thoughts about how cetaceans evolved, even if the specifics are still up for debate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We're looking at like big, big sweeping changes in evolution, not nitty gritty, you know, which individual Southern resident Dorodon. (laughs) We we can't do that. Sorry. Um, So with that disclaimer in mind, uh, before we actually dig into all of this super nerdy, awesome, let's look way, way, way back in time, prehistoric stuff, Lynn, Sarah, what did you know prior to researching for today's episode about cetacean evolution? And it's okay if the answer is nothing, because that's kind of where I was at. <laughs> Ungulates. Mm. That's all yeah. I got. Yeah, so I, I knew... Well, I was pretty sure that I knew, but I wasn't 100% sure that all living cetaceans have a common ancestor and that that common ancestor has a common ancestor with what we would today call ungulates. So like mm-hmm. hoofed mammals, like horses and cows. Yep. And also hippos. Are hippos yes. ungulates? 
Yes. Yes. Okay. And like yeah. deer. There's lots of things that are ungulates. Um, yeah. I just like for some reason like hippos and whales, not because they look anything like, but because people like it's just in my head, and I don't know why. I think it's more yes. Common. It is one of those tropes. things. That, like it's the most closely related, okay. and that is really saying something. Yeah. It's yeah. Because we're talking like over 50 million years ago yeah. they had a common ancestor so yes. that's mm-hmm. super closely yeah. related and like yeah so it's like the hippo group of ungulates that were the most closely related maybe not like whatever like ancestral horses yeah um and what else did i know well yeah that like they used to have limbs uh like four limbs like ungulates and now don't and that there's a bunch of what we would call cetaceans that are now extinct. Yes. Lots and lots that are real scary looking. Yes. Yes. That's Very what I dinosaur mean. looking esque. Yes. Yeah. Cause lots of Not these dinosaurs. Were... No. Oh no. And also, I think also perhaps that there were aquatic mammals that are not related to cetaceans. That's a good Such point. as like, well, so like, um, dugongs and, uh, Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like yeah. mammals that live fully aquatically, which I guess would also include hippos, that are, they're not like ancestral to cetaceans. They're very unrelated to cetaceans. Yeah. No, yeah. And even so like, like ancestral pinnipeds and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know about hippos because the definition for marine mammal, I think, is nine, 90%. It must be 60%. Well, they wouldn't be marine because they are freshwater. No, but I'm thinking yeah. because of. Polar bear is technically defined as a marine mammal, so it's... Yes. Um, yeah. But I think that's just cheating because of the ice thing. Yeah. So it yeah. is not 90% live in on water. Yeah. Um, so, so not hippos, but if hippos lived in salt in the water, ocean, they would. They yeah. Would yeah. 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 But other than hippos, they're not that closely related. And don't share... Like, they're not like... Oh, I hate the term, but like primitive cetaceans... No, like no, no, yeah, no. They're no. very different. <laughs> they're not yeah. primitive. They can do ballet. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you both have hit on like a number of the kind of like major tipping points, maybe or like turning points. Like here's mm. the here's the highlight reel. That's the word I was looking for. Mm. We just well, I don't know if you know this, but we we did go to school for this. <laughs> <laughs> it may it's have been. True. Approximately 20 years ago, but yes. we did. Yes. Maybe. But yeah, you've hit all of the major highlights on, or most of, I would say, most of the major highlights on the road from 50 million years ago, prehistoric ancestor to modern cetaceans. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Hooray! Now we get to nerd out about some of the things that are sort of in line with those things that like our listeners maybe knew one or all of those things as well, as well as some of the new things Mm, that I learned that just blew my mind. Mm -hmm. So we always include links in the show notes to our resources that we've used for the podcast, but I'm going to kind of actually shout out the three main sources that this information is all going to come from because I highly recommend anybody who wants to go further down the rabbit hole than we are going today. And we are going like shin deep, ankle or shin deep down the rabbit hole. Pretty deep. Yeah. But not, not whole body. Some of these resources might be better from a visual perspective rather than us trying to describe 
prehistoric cetaceans to you. <laughs> it's true. Exactly. So the first source that I would highly, highly, highly recommend is a full published article. We love full text articles that you can find for free called From Land to Water, The Origin of Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises, Evolution, Education, and Outreach. So that is a multi-page paper that has really incredible diagrams and looks at sort of like isotope research of fossil records. It's crazy awesome. Um, so that if you're looking for sort of like a scientific paper on the subject, that's where I would recommend you start. If you have time to read a book, which is awesome, <laughs> I <laughs> cannot recommend a better one than The Walking Whales from Land to Water in 8 Million Years by J.G.M. Thuisen. I hope I'm pronouncing... Uh, Thuisen, I was just Thuisen? Yeah. Thuisen, sure. Uh, it's a great book. It's a great, great book. I have not read it word for word, cover to cover, but I have skimmed the whole book, and his writing style is awesome, and it. I, I can't wait to actually like, dive super deep down that rabbit hole. <laughs> It'll be really fun. Um, and if you are looking for like a really good amuse-bouche, as it were, <laughs> to kind of, or an appetizer sampler with visuals to help you get a better sense of what we're talking about today, the YouTuber Benji Thomas, so Ben G Thomas, three different words, has a two-part series, The Evolutionary History of Whales, Cetacean Evolution Part 1 and Part 2 on his YouTube channel, and it is great. It is really great. Also, all three of these sources follow the best accepted kind of order of evolutionary branches along mm -hmm. this, this ancient family tree. There are other ways of classification, as there always are. And again, like I kind of said at the top of the episode, especially when we're looking at fossil records. Um, but the reason that I've chosen to highlight those three resources in particular is because they all sort of follow the same path that we're going to take you down today. Because it can be very confusing. And as, as I said, there's always new research coming out that can kind of muddy these waters even more than they are already. So mm -hmm. those are Good places to start because it'll be in line with what you're about to hear. Okay. All right. Are we ready? Yes. I'm ready. Then get in your Wayback Machines because we are going Ooh. 50 million years back in time. Flux capacitors fluxing. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent. And we are going to meet the first recognized ancient cetacean. Not called a cetacean, in fact, called Pachycetidae. So the Pachycetidae was a land based hoofed mammal. Kind of looked like a dog with hoofs, ratish face, long tail. It had fur. It doesn't look anything like a whale. It's basically gist of it um which makes sense because it lived 50 million years ago and it is very 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 distantly related to the common ancestor of current modern cetaceans um but some of the things that are sort of remarkable about pakacetidae's is that their fossils were first discovered in north pakistan in 1979 
They lived, as I said, 50 million years ago in the early Eocene period. The fossils were located at a river not far from uh, what used to be the Tethys Sea. So we also have to remember that 50 million years ago, the geography of our planet looked very different. So there were oceans where there are not oceans today and seas where there are not seas and vice versa. Um, And there was actually quite a lot of marine activity in sort of Pakistan and India. So when this first Pakistan day was initially discovered in 1979, and they kept looking, there were many, 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 many more found, primarily in northern Pakistan, but also a little bit in northwestern India. And Pakistanidae's most likely lived in sort of an arid terrestrial environment with streams nearby and moderate floodplains. So they were kind of, let's think of them as primarily terrestrial, but they would spend a lot of their time wading in shallow rivers and their teeth in the fossil record indicate they did have a diet primarily made of fish. So they're land-based mammals, but are surviving primarily on fish from the shallow estuaries and rivers that they were found around. Another element of their bodies. I should also be specific here. When I say Pachycetidae, again, like I said at the top of the episode, this is not just a species. This is a clade, is the the technical term we use here. So this could include multiple different generas or families, all kind of like classified under the same big, big, big umbrella. Um, We can't get species specific when we're talking about fossil records for the most part of of these animals. But what Pachycetidae did have in common is that they all had very dense limb bones. Uh, And this is one of the things that we see sort of starting to turn that common ancestral mammalian terrestrial mammal body into a what we now think of as a marine mammal body. Because dense limbs are a great adaptation to make an animal heavier, which counteracts the buoyancy of the water. So it probably wasn't a very good swimmer. It only had hoofs. It didn't have anything resembling flippers at any point at this point, 50 million years ago. So in order to actually kind of like maneuver itself in the water. Those those dense bones were really, really helpful. And that's Pachycetidae. Lindsay, who comes up next? Next is Ambulocetidae. Um, when you look at this one, it also looks like, like a dog with a rat face and a tail. Um, my image shows him lying on his side, very like apathetically like i'm so sad that i'm not a mam uh dolphin <laughs> i wish that it was 49 million years from now so i could jump and spin i'm just gonna <laughs> lie here on the ground all sad it's like very depressing looking anyway i'm so mbc today lived about 49 million years ago so not too far really on the evolutionary time scale from the last one it was also discovered in pakistan in 1994 in the Eocene, it was uh, inhabited the bays and estuaries of the Tethys Sea in northern Pakistan. The fossils of the Ambulocetids are always found near shore in shallow marine deposits, which are associated with marine plant fossils and mollusks. 
Although they are only found there, their oxygen isotope values indicate that they consumed a range of water with different degrees of salinity, um, which therefore makes them represent a transition phase of the cetacean ancestors between freshwater and marine habitats, which is very important when you want to get to marine mammals. Um, they show the first signs of structures necessary for echolocation, the, which is the mandula, mandubular foramen, which increased in size, which indicates, I don't know what a mandubular foramen is. It's in the mandubular lower jaw. foramen. It's like part of their lower jaw. Foramen. Okay. Um, which indicates that a fat pad was likely to be housed in their lower jaw. In modern tooth whales, where they do have echolocation, this fat, bat, this fat pad extends posterior to the modern ear, to the, sorry, to the middle ear, which allows sound to be received in the lower jaw and then transmitted through the fat, bat, through the fat pad to the middle ear. Echolocation! Woohoo! <laughs> also show a major reshaping of limbs. They have long, strong hind limbs that acted more like paddles and limited mobility on land. Probably why that guy was lying down so sad. <laughs> And the recent studies of their spinal morphology suggest that they may have been unable to support their weight on land, suggesting that they were likely fully aquatic. Um, this is not accounted for with the next few clades. So again, we don't know science like this could be true, but then maybe the other ones were back on land. So who knows? It's hard to say. Maybe we'll find out one day. Maybe we won't. Um, but these guys, Ebulocetids, did have a tail. They did not have a flu. Excellent. Okay. Next up are the Remingtonocetidae. They lived in the Middle Eocene in, uh, again, South Asia, Asia, Pakistan, and India uh, about 49 to 43 million years ago. So again, there's lots of overlap and like it seems likely that different of these clades lived at the same time, same as we have current clades, like multiple clades of marine mammals that exist presently at the same time. Um, these ones are starting to get a really long, very extended body. Um, they have long skulls and long jaws as well. The orbits, like the the hole where your eyeballs go, uh, they faced laterally, so off to the side, and were really small, which suggests that vision was not an important sense for them, um, which in... I mean, this is speculation, but in modern animals often implies something like a estuary environment where there's low water visibility anyways. So there's no point in having good visual senses. Um, their nasal opening, which in has is what has evolved into a blowhole in modern cetaceans, is now starting to move up onto the top. It's still at the tip of the snout, but it's on the top rather than the front of the snout. Um, kind of like convergent evolution similar to uh, like alligators and crocodiles. Um, mm -hmm. And one of the notable features in these Remington seeds is that the semicircular canals, which are like your inner ear, um, they're like the tubes that have balance in them and they're really important for balancing in land mammals, sort of telling you which way's up. These had decreased in size, um, maybe to a point of basically no return. So they have, are starting to lose their ability to balance on land. Um, these ones not as important in the water. Yeah, exactly. Not as important in the water. Um, yeah, and like looking at their body form, they seem like they are more fully aquatic. But I don't know if there's evidence for that. But it seems like it. 
Yeah, this, we're into the point where the Wikipedia drawings are showing them on water. In so. water, rather than on land. Yeah, or like 50-50. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the next ones are the Pro- Protocetidae, um, which are is a very diverse group known from Asia, Europe, Africa, and North America. They lived in the Eocene approximately 48 to 35 million years ago. So, again, some overlap, but much longer into the future. I don't know. It's hard to say future past mm-hmm. million years ago. It's, <laughs> it's very confusing. They're still in the past. Anyway, <laughs> Protocetids were the first cetaceans to leave the Indian subcontinent and disperse uh, to all shallow subtropical oceans all over the world. So obviously they had some kind of mobility in the water. There's a, a lot of um, genuses and a lot of diversity in this clade, but some of the things that they all have in common are the position of the nasal opening, moving further back from the anterior tip of the skull, as well as much larger and laterally positioned eyes. So more bigger eyes to see you better with. Mm-hmm. My dear. My dear. <laughs> After Protocetidae, we end up at Bacillosauridae, and this used to be divided into two subfamilies, the Bacillosaurans and the Dorodontidae, but there was an article published in 2013 that argues that Dorodontines should actually be in their own clade and not sort of a subfamily of the Bacillosauruses. So again, science changes. But for the purposes of today's episode, we're going to mostly look at just the similarities and differences between these two groups, regardless of what classification we want to give the groups of families or clades or whatever. Um, Because regardless of whether they're from the same clade or not, it is widely accepted that these two groups, the Bacillosaurans and the Dorodontines, are the two most closely related to modern cetaceans, but that the Bacillosaurids went extinct while some species of the Dorodontines became the sort of like the common ancestor to modern cetaceans. So these are the two groups that we know the most about, and they are the two groups that are that share the most sort of characteristically in common with modern cetaceans. And you just have to look at pictures of them, and I'm sure we will put lots up on our socials because they're really cool and somewhat scary looking. They look like whales. They look like prehistoric whales oh my god (laughs) i have nightmares (laughs) but they do look like whales just with like way scarier teeth (laughs) and eyes i don't know why every like illustration makes them look so i don't know i think the one that drew this one also drew the eels a little mermaid (laughs) maybe Maybe. So, Basilosaurids again, and Durodontines lived together in the late Eocene. So now we're at about 41 to 33 million years ago. And they were distributed throughout pretty much all tropical and subtropical seas of the world. Basilosaurids specifically had very elongated, almost snake-like bodies. They were super long up to 18 meters or 60 feet long so on par with blue whales and fin whales now and dorodontines had much shorter more dolphin like bodies uh, kind of on average four to 4.6 meters or 15 feet long both groups the basilosaurids and the dorodontines had nasal openings all the way back kind of near the orbits where we find them in modern cetaceans now. So a a pretty distinctive like development of 
what we would now consider a blowhole. They had hind limbs that were not attached to their skeleton anymore. So they did have a lot of them anyways, had like externally visible hind limbs, but they were kind of useless. They weren't doing much. There was one paper I read that suggested they, uh, the hind limbs possibly acted like claspers on sharks. Mm, so to oh. kind of help with mating. Which, you know, they probably still would have been figuring figuring that out. Mating yeah, in the uh-huh. ocean is hard. <laughs> yep. Um, and nothing, unfortunately, nothing in the prehistoric record that I found in researching for today's episode went into, like, our, our, our sexual reproduction podcasts mm. of old in terms of, like, <laughs> what did prehistoric whale penises look like? I got nothing. <laughs> on Not that, preserved so. in the fossil record. Um, Mm-mm. But also it's important to note that like evolutionary pressure doesn't cause things like if just because something's not being used doesn't mean that a group immediately loses that trait. There has to be a reason for it. So they could mm-hmm. have just also had these hind limbs because there was no reason like there was no downside to them at this point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They didn't need to be that streamlined yet. And... Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So whether they were used as as claspers or not who knows but they were still there they just weren't attached to the skeleton anymore mm-hmm. um and their forelimbs were starting to be encased either fully or at least partially in sort of a flipper or what we would now consider a fin like looking material they still you know because this the way that evolution works and modern cetaceans still have the same hand and arm bones mm-hmm. as we do as, all, as almost all mammals do um, that would have still been encased in those slippers, but starting to look more like the pectoral fins of modern whales and dolphins. And the sinuses of both of these groups were highly developed. The sinus cavities were getting larger and capable of developing for longer dives, which suggests that behaviorally these animals were were spending a lot of time diving in the water, not just kind of like floating at the surface and foraging in shallows, they were fully marine at this point. And also their spines, their, their, the final vertebrae kind of going towards their, their tailbone had started to compress and form into flukes. So if you look at a whale, a current whale's fluke, their tail, (laughs) um, there are no bones in like the large lateral parts of their fluke. That's all cartilage and muscle. Um, but the spine, like the actual vertebrae that lead into the fluke look very different than those same vertebrae in a human or a cat or anything. They're much more compressed and kind of flattened out in order to turn into the flukes that we see. So Basilosaurids and Dorodontes were getting flukes. What they didn't have yet, though, was a fully developed melon. So they had all of the other structures necessary for echolocation, but they didn't have a fully developed melon yet. So we believe echolocation is probably a result of the other changes that were going through their physiology, not something that they had as a common ancestral trait. Cool. Hmm. Cool. So, yeah, so then after the um, Basilosauridae and the Dorodontidae, or whatever the combined clade of those two is we're at about 36 million years ago and we start to see the evolution of what we would recognize now to be the common ancestors of um 
mysticetes and odontocetes, so like toothed and baleen whales. Um, so, and also a huge amount of disavert. A huge amount of diversification. So also at this time, there was like ice age changes and continental changes. So huge restructuring of ocean habitats and ecosystems. And basically now the ability for cetaceans to take up space and um, evolve very in very different uh, tro- um, oceanic environments, not just like the, the subtropical ones around... Um, India and Pakistan that they had initially evolved in. So um, yeah, huge, huge diversification. And then over those 36 million years, um, we've ended up with the two clades of cetaceans that we have presently. Ta-da! And yeah, so yeah, I guess the main things that after, since 36 million years ago that have evolved are the loss, the complete loss of hind limbs and um, the evolution of echolocation. And baleen. Yeah, because we didn't really talk about that, but baleen didn't exist yet. Yes. True yeah. fact. Yeah. True. So fact. they just got more niched. Yeah, I was I was thinking sense. I was thinking about the things that the odontocetes and mysticetes have in common, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then just extreme diversification from and size and mm-hmm. mainly size. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, as we talked about in our um river dolphin river dolphin episode mm. they have since evolved to go back some species back into freshwater habitats which yep. is cool mm-hmm. none have yet evolved back to go back onto land as far as i know but no um just those killer whales in argentina yeah 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 <laughs> but they don't live on land they just hunt on land so there you have it in a nutshell, that's very large and long and tough to crack. Evolution story <laughs> in fast forward extreme. <laughs> From 50 million years ago to pretty much like 36 million years ago. And then now. And one of the reasons that we we focused more on sort of like, you know, 50 million years ago as opposed to 5 million years ago mm. is, well, two things. One... Fossil records mm-hmm. are significantly easier to find on land mm-hmm. than they yes. are in the ocean. It's amazing. <laughs> right? Go figure. And so, like we were saying at the top of the episode, there, you know, 50 million years ago, there were oceans where there aren't oceans today, and there weren't oceans where there are now mm-hmm. oceans. Means that from a from a fossil record and a paleontology perspective, you can find the fossils of all mm-hmm. of these different clades of, of common ancestors. Whereas the oceans have looked relatively the same. Yeah. Mm. For the last multitude of millions of years. And so whatever, you know, like we're not suggesting that clap your hands 36 million years ago, blue whales looked exactly like they looked. No, today. not at all. Clearly that's not the case. We just haven't seen the, all the, as, as many steps between 36 million years ago and modern blue whales. Yeah. yeah. Probably because whatever those species they are were, underwater. they're underwater. And that's A, not great for fossilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and B, just not great for study. Yeah, not great for actually becoming fossils and then also not great for humans finding fossils. Um, and All also, hard. <laughs> the changes get less and less 
drastic, presumably. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, 36 million years is still a long time to have lots of crazy evolution, but. It is, but it's especially with one of those things of like they lost their uh, their hind, hind yeah. limbs, but like when you find fossils, is like some of them are like, did you lose them? Yeah, exactly. Or did we just not find them? <laughs> so, so true. Yeah, so true. One thing that would be cool is like primitive. It would be cool to see primitive baleen at some point. Like mm, I have an understanding. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the inf- maybe I'm not sure, but it would be cool if the information was out there. We will find out. Oh, that yep. would also be hard because it wouldn't fossilize. Yeah. Yeah, it would, it would be like cartilage. Keratin. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool, cool. There cool. we go. But it's also interesting because, like, if you look at artist renderings mm-hmm. of where we've gone and covered in this episode, from a weird dog rat hoofed thing mm-hmm. to something that just looks like a nightmarish version of a dolphin. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> Versus like that covered in, you know, 26 million years versus what happens in those more recent 36 million years of getting that nightmarish looking dolphin to look like a happy, flippy little dolphin. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Very cool, though. I had a lot of fun researching for today. So hopefully you two did. And also Mm -hmm. hopefully our listeners. I'm definitely going to watch the rest of that video i've watched part of it in um just before this but i didn't get a chance to watch all of it and i also would like to borrow that book from you please it is yeah, so me great too. yes we can definitely do that in the meantime mm-hmm. do you know what time it is now mm-hmm. it's time for fun flipper facts do 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 yeah, I had that was what song came out today. I thought briefly about trying to figure out how to make it part of the Jurassic theme, and then I couldn't do that quickly <laughs> enough. So, fun flipper fact. Really, today's whole episode is filled with fun flipper facts because I knew pretty much none of it <laughs> prior to researching. However, when researching for today's episode, I did come across another fully accessible published article that seemed deserving enough of its own spot in the show to make it today's fun flipper fact because it was crazy (laughs) crazy crazy so this fun flipper fact is about one of the prehistoric ancestors to modern whales that we've talked about the protocitidae so we're back to somewhere between 48 and 35 million years ago and a specific specimen of Protocitidae that was described in 2009. So we will put the link to the entire article of this description, including crazy, crazy, crazy pictures, because what makes this such a remarkable specimen is that it appeared to have been preserved with a fetal skeleton inside of it. So So cool. So I get really, I mean, I get excited about everything. That's the first <laughs> confession, which is not news to you too. haven't noticed 20, 29 podcast episodes. <laughs> um, but I get like especially excited when I'm, I read about fossils where like stomach contents are preserved. Mm-hmm. It's like the predator-prey interaction. And I don't think, like, I'm not a paleontologist. I, I could never do that. But I don't think there would be a cooler thing for a paleontologist to discover then a baby inside, right? Like it's when we're talking yeah. about mammals and any other animal that gives live birth, like that's just awesome. It's so awesome. So they found the specimen of protocytidae 
and the fetal skeleton inside was positioned for what would be a head down delivery. Now, in modern mammals, not marine mammals, in modern mammals, excluding cetaceans, so like pretty much every other mammal, so this is other marine mammals that are not cetaceans, like seals, horses, cats, people, mm-hmm. head down delivery is what you want. Yep. That is great. <laughs> um, that's what our uh, female pelvises are designed for. And, uh, you know, it means the limbs aren't all getting in the way mm-hmm. when, when it's trying to come out. But in modern cetaceans, head down delivery would actually lead to drowning. So your modern whales, dolphins, and porpoises, if those calves were born underwater, because this all happens underwater in modern cetaceans, if those calves were born head first and delivery takes a while, um, we have had the incredible mm. opportunity to actually watch uh, modern cetaceans give birth, with, and specifically a beluga. It is a long time, just like yep. human labor. <laughs> and... Um, the head, if it was coming out first, has the blowhole and therefore the blowhole underwater and the blowholes used to breathe and they breathe air. It doesn't work. There you Mm -hmm. go. The end. It doesn't work. So (laughs) modern cetaceans evolved tail birth delivery so that the umbilical cord could still be attached so that the the fetus slash now basically baby whale before it's born can still breathe until the very last push, which breaks the umbilical cord, hopefully. And then the head comes out and then mom helps baby up to the surface to breathe. So to find the specimen of protocytidae that still has the fetal skeleton positioned for head down delivery, this is where it gets a little bit murky and messy because that suggests that protocytidase lived more like modern pinnipeds. They were probably in the water 80% of the time, but they came on land probably very ungracefully to give birth Mm. on land, Mm -hmm. which makes sense for a head down delivery. This is all based on though. And I think this is why paleontology is so crazy. (laughs) This is all based on one specimen. Yeah. 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 One yeah, specimen no. who we have no idea how, like, okay, first of all, we have no idea how far along she was in her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, absolutely no idea what the gestation period nope. of a protocytidae would be, considering when we look at modern cetaceans, it's everything from, like, a, a few months to two years. Like, it's, there's, there's a lot of range. <laughs> there um and even if even if we did know that information which i don't think there is a way for us to know it no way to know if this one specimen found in 2009 was like the odd protocytidae having a breached baby because you know what that happens not sure if any of you listeners out there have gone through labor or know someone who has but it's not always perfect exactly (laughs) also this one died yeah. Yes. <laughs> For having a successful birth, and like, was that a reason? Nobody, you like again, no way to know. Yeah. Was there an external reason for both of their deaths that happened just then, and caused a fossil to form very nicely? But or 
did she die because she was unable to give birth properly? Mm-hmm. Or who knows? So I chose know. this as our fun flipper fact because I thought it was crazy cool and the pictures in the article are amazing, but also because I thought it gave such a perfect illustration of what we base prehistoric science on. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, historically. Um, it's also cool because it gives us another, like, important common trait between modern cetaceans. Yes. Mm-hmm. That yeah. is, like, unique among modern uh, unique to modern citations yeah mm-hmm. so check out the article check out the pictures it's really really cool but just keep in mind science changes and it's generally not a good idea to base anything on just one example yeah. you find in the world sample size one Correct. is dodgy it's, yeah <laughs> yeah always happy fun flipper fact everybody uh, I think now is probably a great opportunity to do a quick shout out to our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons, for supporting us so that I can nerd the hell out <laughs> even more so than usual in an episode like today. Uh, what are our patrons? How do you become a patron? Uh, we are on a site called Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash whaletales. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And Patreon is a site where for as little as a dollar a month, you can support creators that you love uh, to do the work that they love. Yeah. So we have a bunch of different rewards for our different tiers. So for as little as a dollar a month and then five to ten dollars a month, you can get all sorts of different rewards, including weekly newsletters, thank you cards in the mail. You can produce your own flipper fact, vote in polls, discounts on merch, uh, access to special extended episodes. All sorts of exciting things. And also our eternal gratitude. Because becoming a patron is so valuable to us since this is not any of our full-time job. But it is something that takes a lot of time. And also, just to be frank about it, a lot of money. So hosting our podcasts and hosting our living library, which now has over a thousand cetacean stories, there are costs associated with that. And since this is not a full-time gig for any (laughs) of us, and it is just a labor of love, any amount that our incredible patrons can give to support the work that we're doing is just so much appreciated so thank you thank you thank you patrons for everything that you do and for allowing us to do this that we love so much and if you can't become a patron that's okay we totally understand you can still help the podcast and you can still help whale tales by leaving us a rating leaving us a comment sharing with anybody that you know who also loves whales and dolphins and porpoises or just history and paleontology (laughs) as of today's episode um It really means the world to us. So thank you so much to everybody. Yeah. Um, And now we're going to tell a story about a whale that is currently alive. (laughs) Um, Looks looks like a whale. No extra fins as far as I know. Uh, Anyway, this story comes to us from Selby, who works uh, with Nicole in the Pacific Rim National Park National Park Reserve. And it is so cool, and I'm so jealous, and now you will be too. <laughs> Hello, my name's Selby. I'm sharing a story about how I went surfing with a humpback about a week and a half ago. So I was going out surfing at Chesterman Beach, which is a beach close to Tofino on the west coast of Vancouver Island. 
and as I started paddling out I could see some sprays in the distance so I knew that there was a whale in the water and there were a lot of other people on the beaches and in the water paying attention to the, the sprays because it's quite exciting to see from the beach or from the water so as I was paddling out I kept seeing these sprays in the distance which was really exciting I'd never been in the water before with whales I've seen them from the beach before at Long Beach but never been actually in the water with them so that was really cool um, as, as I kept surfing I kept seeing the sprays and then there was one point where I was just sitting out in the water waiting for the waves and I actually got to see a bit of the body the the whale just went up and over and I saw some dark colors on it and that's what made me think it was probably a humpback whale that was hanging around there for a little bit um, so that was really cool to get to see that while I'm in the water on a surfboard and to share that experience with the other people who were also in the water it was really humbling and um, it's interesting just to remember that you're sharing the water with such big fantastic animals and yeah it's pretty awesome <sighs> oh my goodness oh I hate her but also <laughs> <I> <laughs> Thanks, Selby. That was so awesome. It was so good. Oh my goodness. If you're looking for another way to support Whale Tales and the work we do, you can share your cetacean story with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've got uh, a bunch of stories from Tofino and the surrounding areas. One of our regular storytellers, Marcy, lives up there, so she has some incredible stories about bigs and humpbacks. She saw a fin whale last summer and... All sorts of great stuff. And that about brings us to the end of our episode, but not quite yet, because the three of us actually just celebrated a particular anniversary that I wanted to take a moment to share my feelings oh, no. about. <laughs> so the three of us just had our friend anniversary, or when we actively became best friends, and we have been best friends for 12 years. It's a really long time. <laughs> It's a really, really long time. Uh, and to celebrate, we went away for our girls weekend and just had such a wonderful time not seeing whales, not for mm, lack of trying. I tried. We tried real hard, but it's it was really not disappointing. To be. It was. But I'm going to write them a stern letter. <laughs> just send it out into the ocean. Yes, to the whales. Um, but aside from not seeing whales, we just had a really, really lovely time just kind of reconnecting with each other and sharing stories with each other, both whale related and not, and, and looking back at our time together. And it was just really, it was really meaningful and it was really special. And I think one of the things that I love most about whale tales is that I get to work with both of you on this Aww. and connect with people all over the world. And so as our call to action, because we always try to have a call to action in each of our podcast episodes, I wanted to say that I love you both and I know we don't talk oh, no. about our feelings very much. Um, but to encourage our listeners to celebrate their friends and to, you know, it's really, we don't always take the time to tell people what they mean to us. And I was just reflecting on that a lot after the weekend with the two of you. We're recording this literally the day after we got back from our girls weekend. Um, and so that's, that's the call to action we wanted to share with people today is celebrate your friends, celebrate the people who matter to you, tell them they matter to you. And if they matter to you because they share your interests and those interests are cetacean related, then you can also share our podcast with them and maybe it'll become a new thing that you can laugh about together and 
text about together and maybe you'll go out together with some of the people who matter most in your life and see a citation and share your story with us because that's really what this is all about oh yay yeah share the podcast share with us in our library sort of what that means to you and just yeah tell people you love them the end Including us, because we'd really love to hear your thoughts on this episode, or any episode. <laughs> so please visit our website, whale-tales.org, where you can find links to our various social media handles, and you can drop us a line and share all your feelings with us. Oh, <laughs> Maybe so not many. all, but some. <laughs> your cetacean feelings. Yeah, we'll stick with those. Um, you can also tweet at us directly. I am FHG07. Sarah is Sarah K. Given, no H, and Nicole is Nick F. Can, C-A-N-N. You can head to our website to subscribe to our podcast, check out our merchandise, learn more about supporting us and becoming a patron, and while you're there, read over 1,000 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. And of course, if you've seen a citation like Selby has, like we tried to this weekend, (laughs) we would love to add your story to our library. So click the share link on our site, contact us on social media, whaletales.org, or email us a voice memo just like Selby did and tell us all about your incredible encounter. Thank you again for listening and for supporting us. We will be back on the last Wednesday of next month with an exciting porpoiseful episode. (laughs) Oh no, the puns are coming. In the meantime, thanks everyone and have a really great day.